Carter Report presents worship from the Community Adventist Fellowship in Glendale, California. A special welcome to all of our viewers in North America and our new friends and churches in Russia. Today you'll enjoy uplifting music and the preaching of the everlasting gospel by pastor, teacher, and evangelist John Carter. Please get your Bible and study the Word of God with us today. Thank you for joining us for Worship and Praise. Redeemed by His side, we all. 
We're so glad to welcome every person today. We're glad that you've joined us, and we know that God is going to bless us. Today we're going to talk about the sealed book and the apocalyptic charge of the four horsemen. As you know, we're going through the book of Revelation from Sabbath to Sabbath. I'd like you to take your Bible, please, and turn with me to Revelation chapter 5 and verses 1 to 4. Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 4. And those who have missed some of the earlier series can get the earlier series on television tape. Those videos are available for any person who wants to get them. Write to me, John Carter, Post Office Box 1900, Thousand Oaks, California, 91358. We're turning now to Revelation chapter 5, verses 1 to 4, as today we talk about the seal book, the apocalyptic charge of the four horsemen. And you'll find that there are Bibles in the pews at the front of you. And I saw on the right hand of him who sat on the throne a scroll written inside and on the back, sealed with seven seals. Then I saw a strong angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and to loose its seals? And no one in heaven or on the earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look at it. So I wept much because no one was found worthy to open and read the scroll or to look at it. The question we need to discuss at this time is this. What is this book? What does it contain? This is a very, very important book, obviously, because it's a part of the great plan of redemption that God has for the human race. To understand what this book is, one needs to understand the customs of the ancient Jewish people. Back in the days of the Bible, owning a piece of the land of Israel was very, very important to the heart of an Israelite. And if a person, because of poverty or maybe even foolishness, lost his birthright, lost his little piece of Israel, God in the scriptures provided a way whereby it could be returned. A person who was a near kinsman, and that's important, not just anybody, not a foreigner, not a person who was a long, long way removed, but a person who was a near kinsman, had the privilege and the opportunity to go along and redeem the property that had been lost. And so all of these things were written down in a book. And a person who was a near kinsman, and only he had the right to redeem. I just wonder today, what is this book talking about? This book, my friend, is the great book of the redemption of God's people. Because in the Garden of Eden, God gave to his people an inheritance and that was this earth. But this inheritance was lost because of our sins. And this great book that is held in the hand of the Almighty God, this book contains the title deeds of the lost inheritance. It is also the history of the great controversy between Jesus and the Antichrist. And the Father who is seated upon the throne is the person who is holding the book. 
the book of the redemption of the people of God. And the question is asked, who is worthy to go and take the book? And the Bible tells us that no person on the earth, no angel, no person under the earth has the necessary qualifications to go and take the book out of the hand of him who sits upon the throne. And therefore John weeps copiously because he sees that the inheritance that was given to the people of God is somehow in doubt. Because no person in the whole universe is found worthy to go and take the book of the purchase redemption of the people of God. Until you come to the next verse. And verse 5 is one of the great verses in the Bible. And I want you please to notice it, dear folks, in verse 6. But one of the elders said to me, Do not weep. Behold the line of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has prevailed to open the scroll and to loose the seven seals. And I looked, and behold, in the midst of the throne and of the four living creatures, and in the midst of the elders, stood a lamb, as though it had been slain, having seven horns and seven eyes, which are the seven spirits of God sent out into all the earth. When the cry goes out to the universe, who is worthy to take the book? It is found that no person is worthy. And then a voice is saying, the line of the tribe of Judah has prevailed to take the book. And so it is announced the line has prevailed, but when John turns and he looks, he does not see a line, but he sees a bleeding lamb. Because in God's way of thinking, the way to power, my friend, is not through carnal methods, but it is through the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. And so I want you to get the, the scene and I want you to feel the drama, as we pointed out last week and the week before, this scene here in Revelation 4 and 5 is a picture of the great judgment scene. It is a parallel passage to Daniel chapter 7, and the Almighty God is on His throne. And the great issues of the ages have come up before the Almighty God. And there is the book that contains the title deeds to the lost possession, and the cry goes out, Who is worthy? And John weeps because no one is found worthy, but then at last one is found worthy, the Lamb of God, the line of the tribe of Judah, who prevailed by his own blood and has purchased us for eternity. So the cry is, who is worthy? He is worthy. Elder Patey, a very dear friend of mine, is, is Marshall Kelly, who is a great black singer, Went to high school together. Uh, he's a dear friend of mine. We brought him out to the Sydney Opera House. And he sang for me every night of the week there. I loved to see, hear him sing, but I loved to see him sing. Because when he sings, his face looks like an angel. And he has a beautiful song that he sang for me. And I'll never forget it when he sang it for me because the words are so wonderful. When none was found to ransom, he sings. When none was found to ransom, he was found worthy. Mm -hmm. Oh, the bleeding lamb, oh, the bleeding lamb. 
And Marshall Kelly sings that song with his soul because he himself has been ransomed by the blood of the Lamb. But when no person, my friend, was found worthy, he was found worthy. The prophet Isaiah said, I looked, he said, and there was no man. The prophet Isaiah said that he looked at all the sons of men on the face of the earth and he looked for a man who would stand in the breach. The prophet Ezekiel said the same thing. He said, I looked for a man, but there was no man. There was no man on the face of the earth who was worthy because we're all sinners. There was no person, my friend, in the church who was worthy. There was no person, didn't matter who he was, whether he was a prophet or a priest or a king, no one was found worthy. And when it came to the very bottom line and John was weeping, there was one who was found worthy alone. And that was the Lamb of God, the line of the tribe of Judah, the Lord Jesus Christ. I want you to notice now verses 7 to 14 in this great chapter on the judgment. Revelation chapter, chapter 5 and verse 7 and onwards, please notice it in the Bible. Then he came and took the scroll out of the right hand of him who sat on the throne. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures whom we believe are our angels... Four living creatures and the 24 elders, a people from this earth who've already made it through the pearly gates, who already have got home to heaven. And the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. And they sang a new song, saying, You are worthy to take the scroll. My friend, I want us all to know this today. There is only one person worthy to take the scroll and to open the book, and there is only one person worthy of our worship. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says, when none was found to ransom, he was found worthy. You are worthy to take the scroll and to open its seals, for you were slain and have redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation. And that is why I believe when we worship together in church, we ought to worship not by the color of our skin, but by the blood of Jesus. Amen. Don't you believe that? Because God has saved us out of every nation, kindred, tongue, and people. I want to say, Elder Pay T, and I want to say to the congregation, I want to say to the people on 3ABN, I believe it is wrong when we worship together in racial groups. I believe that we ought to worship together as the church of the living God without regard to our color at all. Can you say amen to that, brethren? Amen. Did you know when Leonard Fundo the grandson of the founder of the KGB came to this country and he came and saw me this week and now he's working in New York. He said, I am disillusioned somewhat with my church. I said, why? He said, because it is racist. I said, what do you mean? He said, they get together in racial groups and they don't want to worship together. I want to tell you, my friend, in the kingdom of God, when we get home to glory, we're all going to be the same color and we're all going to speak the same language. And if we're going to get there to that other shore, we need to worship together. Amen. Don't you believe it? 
Of course it's true, and you know it's true. And we ought to be Bible Christians. You're worthy to take the scroll because you've redeemed us to God by your blood out of every tribe and tongue and people and nation and have made us kings and priests to our God. Let nobody put you down. The Bible says you're a king and you're a priest. And we shall reign on the earth. Then I looked and I heard the voice of many angels around the throne, the living creatures and the elders, and the number of them, if you ever think you're in the minority, the number of them was 10,000 times 10,000 and thousands and thousands, saying with a loud voice, now repeat it with me, worthy is the Lamb who was slain to receive power and riches and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and blessing. Keep on reading. And every creature which is in heaven and on the earth and under the earth and such as are in the sea and all that are in them, I heard saying, Blessing and honor and glory and power be to him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb forever and ever. Then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the 24 elders fell down and worshipped him who sits forever on the throne. So he alone is worthy of worship, we are told in the scriptures. And the Bible tells us that in this great scene, which is parallel to Daniel chapter 7, when the judge is on the throne and the great books are opened up, there is the great deed, the title deeds of the lost inheritance. And Jesus goes to the Father and Jesus takes the title deeds. And because Jesus has taken the title deeds, my salvation in Christ is guaranteed by the blood of the Lamb. Now, I want to tell you something though, that in this great judgment scene, when you come to the next chapter, you have here a portrayal of the church and the, the church in its glory, the church in its power, and the church in its apostasy. Would you please come now to chapter 6? Because now we have the four horsemen of the apocalypse. Revelation chapter 6 and verses 1 and 2, dear hearts and gentle people. You'll have to forgive our congregation, Elder Patey. They get excited sometimes. Some of them get worked up and shout amen and all those sort of things. But we'll try to get them. Once they become a regular congregation, they'll probably get a little quieter, I think. You know, it seems to happen on occasions. Mm -hmm. Revelation chapter 6, verses 1 and 2. Now I saw when the Lamb opened one of the seals, and I heard one of the four living creatures saying with a voice like thunder, Come and see. And I looked, and behold, a white horse. And he who sat on it had a bow, and a crown was given to him, and he went out conquering and to conquer. And so, as John is watching the panorama of the ages, as he is watching, I might say, the great drama of the ages, in the context of the great judgment scene with God upon his throne and the Lamb in his ascendancy, he sees a great horse going forth and, and seated upon the horse is a mighty conqueror who wears a crown and he has a bow in his hand and the Bible uses the words he goes forth conquering and to conquer. Now, we will notice today 
that these seven seals cover the same territory as the seven churches. And so as the seven churches covered the era of Christianity from the apostolic era until the last days, so the seven seals cover the same territory from the time of the apostles until the day when the Lord returns in glory. Many commentators, uh, starting with Victorinius, I think back in the third century after Christ, have seen in the white horse with the mighty conqueror upon its back, they have seen in this symbol a picture of the triumphant Christ as he leads his church to victory and to glory. I, have no, I know that some commentators disagree with this today, but this is the view that was taken by all the historicists down through the ages, and I stand with them today. I believe that the person upon the white horse is none other than our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, I would like to give you some evidence for that, if I may. Zechariah chapter 1, yeah, verse, verse 8 and 9. Uh, it talks here, uh, I saw by night and behold a man riding on a red horse. It stood among the myrtle trees. Verse 9, I said, my Lord, what are these? He says, I'll show you what they are. Verse 10, the, the man who stood among the myrtle trees answered and said, these are the ones whom the Lord has sent to walk to and fro throughout the earth. This chapter in the book of Revelation is based upon this picture which describes something that took place after the captivity and how God sent his ambassadors throughout the earth. In the Bible, and, and this, is, this is true, in the Bible, a horse is always used as a symbol of warfare. White is used as, as a symbol of purity, of the purity of God, and the bow is also used as a symbol of warfare. Now if you come now with me to uh, Revelation 19 and verse 11, Revelation chapter 19 and verse 11. You have a very similar description and it refers to our Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 19 and verse 11 says, Then I saw heaven opened and behold a white horse. And he who sat on him was called Faithful and True. And in righteousness he judges and makes war. And so there is no question at all that this is a representation of our Lord Jesus Christ. And when you see the, the white horse going forth and he carries the man uh, shining with glory and the man with the crown and the man carrying the bow, it is a picture of the kingdom of God as it goes forth in great power to preach the everlasting gospel. And this, of course, is a picture of the church in its ideal situation, and the church as it existed in the days of the apostles. One commentator said this is a symbolic representation of the triumphant Christ as through his church and earth he goes forth conquering and to conquer. It is appropriate description of the church in the times of the apostles. A church that was clothed with the righteousness of Jesus, that was armed with the true gospel, and that was filled with the Holy Spirit, and a church that believed in the supremacy of the preaching of the everlasting gospel, and in the supremacy of the mission of the church, which is evangelism. One commentator made these remarks. 
in the light of this passage concerning the apostolic zeal of the church, in the light of this passage, the duty of the church is clear. The great commission must be paramount in our thinking. All other things should be done only to pay expenses. So that's what the Bible says. And we believe this. We believe that everything in the church is, is secondary to the great mission of the church, which is the preaching of the everlasting gospel. Now would you come with me now to Revelation chapter, Revelation chapter 6 and verse 3 and 4. Okay, come back to Revelation chapter 6 and verse 3 and 4. Revelation 6, 3 and 4. When he opened the second seal, I heard the second living creature saying, Come and see. And another horse, fiery red, went out. And it was granted to the one who sat on it to take peace from the earth, and that people should kill one another. And there was given to him a great sword. Now what is red a symbol of? Come on, let's have a little feedback. What's red a symbol of? Hmm? Red is also a symbol of sin. Though your sins be as scarlet. Doesn't it say that? They'll be as white as snow. So red is also a symbol of sin. Red is a symbol also of depravity and apostasy. And so in this great judgment scene, you see the church in its purity led by our Lord Jesus Christ. And the church goes forth conquering and to conquer. But the Bible says something dreadful would happen to the church. And you don't need to turn up this passage, but the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, there would come a time of falling away in the church. And the church that was the light of the world would go out into darkness. And so the red horse that goes forth to take peace from the earth is symbolic of the Christian church as it falls away from the grace of God. And this, of course, is what we have taught and what we have believed. Um, let me tell you something that will interest you. The early Christian church, when it was a power in the world, the early Christian church believed very strongly in the great gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now the word gospel is used so often today that, you know, it's, it's almost become a, a nonsense word. But the gospel means this, that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came down to this earth and with his own blood he paid for our own sins on the cross. And whosoever will may come. If we come to Christ, we are saved not by our works but by his works. We are saved through faith in the completed atonement on the cross. We're talking about the sacrificial atonement. Did you know this? That by the time you come to the second century, not the first, but the second century, and you start to read the writings of the church fathers, the doctrine of the blood atonement had been lost in the Christian church, largely lost. And the Christian church had accepted a doctrine like the moral influence theory, current in some places today, the doctrine that a person is saved by copying Christ. Now every Christian will want to copy Jesus. But I want to tell you, you're not saved because of your works. We are saved by the works of our Lord Jesus Christ for us on the cross. 
and the apostles were hardly cold in their graves before preachers got up and they started to preach the idea that a person was saved by copying Christ and by being good enough, by an infused righteousness. And the Bible tells us the church fell away from the grace of God. And the church that had been filled with the purity of God and filled with the power of God became a church full of warfare and hatred. They lost the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ and the church became filled with dissension and strife and hatred and a great sword was given to the ruler of that church to take peace from the earth. Let me tell you folks something. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that in some parts of the world the church is filled with dissension. Why is it that in many parts of the world, the church, instead of being preoccupied with the preaching of the everlasting gospel, is preoccupied with squabbling and fighting for power? And people in the church are fighting over this office and fighting over that office. Why is it so? It is because the church, my friend, is walking in the footsteps of the rider on the red horse. Strife, alienation and hatred always accompany those people who've lost the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. And so here was a church that started out so very well, my friend, but the gospel became obliterated and the church became filled with dissension and with hatred. Please read on, would you? Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. As we come now to the third horse... Revelation chapter 6, verses 5 and 6. When he opened the third seal, I heard the third living creature say, Come and see. And I looked and behold, a black horse. And he who sat on it had a pair of scales in his hand. And I heard a voice in the midst of the four living creatures saying, A quarter of wheat for a denarius, and three quarts of barley for a denarius. Um... Uh, these commodities were only this expensive in a time of famine, incidentally. And do not hurt the oil and the wine. And so the apostasy continues. This is describing the church of Jesus as it wandered further and further from the gospel of Christ. This was now the church of human tradition. And history tells me that after the apostles... As the years rolled by and became centuries, the church leaders and the people laid aside the Bible and the Word of God and they substituted the teachings of men. And the church that had started out so strong and so powerful and so filled with the glory of God and believing in evangelism became a church of darkness. Uh, the great Dr. Wiley, the great Anglican historian, said, the noonday of that system, the noonday of that system was the midnight of the world. They had lots of churches, and they had lots of liturgies, and they had lots of traditions, but the Bible says, the church was in darkness and there was a great famine in the land 
and the people were starving to death because there was no preaching in the Bible. The Bible became unknown to the common people. We're talking now about the Dark Ages. That's what it's called. It was a time of fear and ignorance, superstition, and all types of human myths. Uh, you know, it's easy for us to say today, well, that's history, and we know that happened in the Middle Ages. But I want to tell you today, I want you to listen about this, these horsemen ride again every time we turn from the Word of God. These horsemen ride in individuals and in churches and in congregations that can start out so very well preaching the Word. I want to give a warning to my church here today. This church, the Community Adventist Fellowship, has a mission to take the gospel not only to Los Angeles, but to the world. And we believe that God has blessed us. But I want to give this church a warning today. You lose sight of that holy mission and you will become the red horse and then the black horse. And we can be worshipping here and talking piety and going through all the actions and the wrath of God will rest upon us. Let us not think that the church of Jesus Christ is dealt with in any way different to how God deals with individuals. I do not believe in predestination. I believe in a biblical predestination. I do not believe in the idea that a person, once he is saved, is always saved. I do not believe in once saved, always saved for individuals for churches, for conferences, for divisions, or for denominations. Do you? No. We are saved as we follow Christ. Let none of us ever come to the place where we say, because I am a part of an organization, I'm going home to glory. Because that organization may not go home to glory, brother. We do not go home to glory in organizations. We go home to glory in Christ. You see? Do you believe that, brother? It's the truth, isn't it? It's the truth. And so the church started out as the white horse, the rider, the Lord Jesus Christ. But the years rolled by and the church became red with sin and dissension and politics and fighting every person wanting to be the leader. Everybody wanted to be the leader. Then the Bible says it became darkness and the people were starving to death. That was the dark ages. But it wasn't the end. I wish it were. Revelation 6, 7 and 8. Revelation chapter 6 you know, God has put these things in here in the Bible so we can learn, not so we become self-righteous at the sins of others. You know, we're pretty good at knocking other churches and saying, you, you notice how bad they got. These things are put here so that we will not emulate them in sin. When he opened the fourth seal, I heard the voice of the fourth living creature saying, Come and see. And I looked and behold, a pale 
And the name of him who sat on it was death. But he was the leader of the church. God said, he's dead. He's death. And Hades followed with him, or the grave. And power was given to them over a fourth of the earth to kill with the sword, with hunger, with death, and by the beasts of the earth. This is a norm, a diseased church. It is a church that suffers from pestilence and famine. Heresy is the poison of the soul. This is a church filled with poisonous doctrines like righteousness by works, that we are saved by what we do. A church that believed in penance and indulgences and confession to a human earthly mediator, purgatory and eternal torment. These doctrines damn the church. You may say to me, it doesn't matter what a person believes as long as he is sincere. My friend, you can be sincere and burn in hell. The devil is sincere. There is nobody more sincere than the devil. He is absolutely sincere. And these people here were sincere. Heresy never sanctifies. The historian said an enormous train of different superstitions were gradually substituted in the place of the religion of the Bible and genuine piety. This odious revolution was owing to a variety of causes. A preposterous desire to imitate the pagan rites to be like the world. And of blending them with the Christian worship and that idle propensity which the generality of mankind have towards a gaudy and ostentatious religion all contributed to establish the reign of superstition upon the ruins of Christianity, said Moshim in the Institutes of Ecclesiastical History. That's the Dark Ages. You know what we're talking about when we talk about the Dark Ages. And we talk about the coalition of church and state. But I've got some little news for you today. The pale horse is still riding. The red horse is still riding. The black horse is still riding. He rides when any person puts the teachings of men in the place of the teachings of the Bible. When any person substitutes the authority of God for the authority of men. That is where death rides. One theologian I read last night said, in the holy war, it is hard to find loyal soldiers. Persecution and oppression have done their work and the ranks have been decimated. Those now who stand in the popular religious courts who have shunned persecution have become sickly and diseased spiritually. Their souls know no rest and they fight with each other and with God as well as against the saints. Beware. Beware. Come to Revelation 6, 9 to 11. The fifth seal. Revelation 6. And verses 9 to 11. When he opened the fifth seal, 
I saw under the altar the souls of those who had been slain for the word of God and for the testimony which they held. And they cried with a loud voice, saying, How long, O Lord, holy and true, until you judge and avenge our blood on those who dwell on the earth? And a white robe was given to each of them, and it was said to them that they should rest a little while longer until both the number of their fellow servants and their brethren who should be killed as they were, was completed. These verses describe the horror of religious bigotry and intolerance. History records that the most bigoted people have not been atheists, Mikhail. The most bigoted people are religious people. And the people who've caused the greatest curse to the human race have been bigoted religionists. And here we have a description of bigoted religionists. We're told by some historians that during the Dark Ages, when the pale horse galloped across the world, a hundred million people were put to death. Some time ago, they were cutting a pass for a train line through a hill in Spain. And as they were putting this pass for the train in this area of Spain, they came upon hundreds of yards of charred bones, rusting chains. This is where the Spanish Inquisition had done its work. Mm, how terrible. Not only do these verses refer to the past, but they point to the future, because the greatest time of persecution still lies ahead for the church. One commentator I read this week said, we should be alarmed that there's no persecution in America today against Christians. We should be alarmed that there's no persecution against Adventists in Los Angeles. We should be alarmed, he never said that specifically, but he said we should be alarmed that there's no persecution in the Western world. And he said the reason is the church is largely in apostasy. Is that strong? It is strong. Is it true? It is true. Whenever, my friend, the gospel is preached with power, there'll be persecution. And Jesus said, beware when everybody speaks well of you. When the church is loved by the world, it is because the church has apostatized from our holy mission. And we ought to pray for courage to preach the gospel. Whenever the flames have been kindled, God has had his witnesses, and God always will. Come on, read with me, Revelation 6, 12 to 17. Revelation 6, verses 12 to 17. And I looked when he opened the sixth seal, and behold, there was a great earthquake that's been partially fulfilled, but the great fulfillment is still to come. And the sun became black as sackcloth of hair, and the moon became like blood. And the stars of heaven fell to the earth, as a fig tree drops its late figs when it is shaken by a mighty wind that's still going to come. Then the sky receded as a scroll when it is rolled up, and every mountain and island was moved out of its place. How will you be, brother, in that day? And the kings of the earth, the great men, the rich men, the commanders, the mighty men, every slave and every free man hid themselves in the caves and in the rocks of the mountains, and said to the mountains and rocks, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of his wrath has come and who is able to stand? 
And so, this chapter brings you down to the last days. It brings you down to the day when Jesus returns and the lost inheritance is restored to the people of God. And there's something you and I ought to think about today. And that's the question. The great day of his wrath is come. And who, who will stand? This chapter is given to shake us out of our complacency and to teach us this. No person will stand who follows an earthly religion. No person will, will stand who follows the religion of death and superstition and darkness. The only person who will stand is the person whose life is under the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the only person, my friend, who's going to make it. I want you to listen to this poem that describes the last day when Jesus comes back. Look, ye saints, the sight is glorious. See the man of sorrows now. From the fight return victorious. Every knee to him shall bow. Crown him, crown him, crown him, crown him. Crowns become the victor's brow. Sinners in derision crowned him, mocking thus the Saviour's claim. Saints and angels crowd around him. Own his title, praise his name. Crown him, crown him, crown him, crown him. Spread abroad the victor's fame. Hark those bursts of acclamation, hark those loud triumphant chords. Jesus takes the highest station, oh what joy the sight affords. Crown him, crown him, crown him, crown him, King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. You and I will crown him in that day if we crown him now. I want this somehow to get through to our hearts because I know that for most people in this part of the world, going to church is like going to the circus. Just something we do. This chapter, or these two chapters, one on the glory of Christ and one on the history of the church, these chapters are given to teach us that the only thing that can save me and that can save you is not pompous religiosity. It is not joining a denomination. It is being washed by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. That's the only thing that can save us. And I want to make this appeal to you today. Put your life in the hands of Jesus. Ask the Lord Jesus Christ to wash you with his blood Amen. and fill you with the Holy Spirit. Amen. Shall we kneel as we pray? And then, Jay, I want you to come down and get ready for that item as we have the offering. Now, Father, today we, we're so glad we can come and talk to you in prayer. 
We thank you for these two great chapters in the book of Revelation. We thank you that when none was found a ransom, as Kelly sang, when none was found to ransom, he was found worthy. We thank you that he's worthy because with his own blood he's paid the price. We thank you that he took hold of the Roman nails and held on until his heart was broken because he loves us. We thank you that he died for our sins. He intercedes for us and he is worthy to reclaim the title deeds, the book of redemption. We've studied today, our Father, the history of the church as it started out in pristine purity but became red and black and deadly. Help us to understand that the only person who will stand in the last days when the hills are moved around and the stars fall from heaven are those who've given their lives to the living Christ and have followed the teachings of the Bible. May we be those people today. Speak to our hearts. Get inside these cold, stony hearts of ours. Stir us. Humble us, Lord, under the mighty hand of God and wash us clean. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.